Thank you. Well, good morning, Grace Hill. It's good to see everyone this morning. I'm uh, excited to continue in our series this morning uh, in the book of Ruth. And so we've already read Ruth chapter 2 together, but if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Ruth 2. It will be helpful as we'll go back to it, and you'll see verses on the screen behind me, and you can use your phone app too if that's helpful to you uh, as well. But we're going to be continuing in our study of the book of Ruth. And so last week, we studied together Ruth chapter 1. And we talked about the idea of faithfulness. And we marveled at the faithfulness of Ruth. The, the, the faithfulness she displays to God, that she displays to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Even when it seemed like Ruth had every reason not to be faithful or every excuse in the book. We just marveled at her consistency. And so I encourage you to, to go back to that sermon if you missed it. It's on our website so you can stay up to date with the series. But this morning, what I want to talk about is the idea of bitterness. If you remember from Ruth chapter 1 last week, there is an Israelite woman named Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. She was living in Bethlehem with her husband, Elimelech, and she had two sons. And they decide to move to Moab because there's a famine in Israel. And so they wanted to escape the famine. They go to Moab, but while they're in Moab, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. But Naomi has two sons, and her two sons take two Moabite women to be their wives. So that's Ruth and Orpah. So 10 years go by, but after 10 years, both of Ruth's sons die. I'm sorry, both of Naomi's sons die. And so now we have Naomi, who is a widow, living in a foreign land with foreign daughters-in-law, who are also childless widows. And as we mentioned last week, this was a very uh, precarious situation. This is a patriarchal society. And so a widow living with two daughters-in-laws who are also widows and childless is a scary situation for these women. And so Naomi hears that this famine in Israel is over. And so she decides to go back to Bethlehem Orpah stays behind in Moab, but Ruth clings to Naomi, remains faithful to Naomi, and goes back to Bethlehem, back to Israel with Naomi. But because of all of this tragedy that Naomi had experienced, because of all of the loss that she had experienced in Moab, we read that she had become very bitter. In fact, if you turn in your Bible to Ruth chapter 1, just look back at that text in verses 20 and 21. What we read is that Ruth goes back to Bethlehem and she sees some old neighbors. They all recognize her. Hey, Naomi's back. And she says this, verses 20 and 21. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me? Some translations say the Lord has opposed me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Naomi had become very bitter. 
And what does that mean? What does it mean to be bitter? Uh, well, let me give you my definition of, of bitterness. Um, bitterness is being angry that you're not in control. Bitterness is being angry that you're not in control. So we experience some circumstance that we can't control, and then we get this settled anger or cynicism kind of in our gut that becomes to be the filter through which we see everything in our life or the filter through which we maybe we see God or the filter through which we see other people. This cynicism, cynicism develops because if we were in control, then we wouldn't be encountering this kind of circumstance or whatever it is we're encountering. You know, maybe you've experienced bitterness at work before. Um, your boss is making decisions that you don't think are good. Uh, some policy has taken effect that's inconvenient for you or the expectations on you are, are way too high or you see other employees getting treated certain ways and you're not treated in the same way. You know, whatever it is, it's, it's easy to get bitter in the workplace when you're not in control. Because if you were in control, then, then these things wouldn't be happening with you. But since you're not in control, you just have to live with these circumstances. And bitterness can take root when that begins to occur. Or, or maybe you've experienced bitterness in your home. You know, your spouse keeps doing or not doing things that you think they should or should not do. And because they are stubborn and will not change, bitterness can take root. Because you're not in control. And of course, things would be better if you could just be in control. It's the same with your kids. You know, if we as parents had full control, our kids would have the emotional maturity of Jesus. But they don't. And that's frustrating to us. And, and bitterness can take root when we're having difficulties. So bitterness can kind of come in. Or maybe you, you deal with circumstances that you just, you really didn't ask for. Chronic pain, health issues, financial struggles, or something else that you didn't ask for, you can't control. And if you were in control, you wouldn't have those problems. But you do have these problems. You, you have to live with them. And so that's just a situation where bitterness can begin to infect the heart. And, and last week, we compared the faithfulness of Ruth to the bitterness of Naomi. You know, Ruth displays extraordinary faithfulness. And we learned last week that her faithfulness was motivated by her belief that God is faithful to her. That's what we learned about last week. Remember, it's this important Hebrew word we learned called hesed. It's translated to mean the steadfast love of God, the faithful love of God, the loving kindness of God. And it's all over our Bibles. We see this word everywhere. Uh, uh, just this morning, Nick did the call to worship from Psalm 107. That word is all over Psalm 107. And it's a word that's going to appear again here in Ruth chapter two. It refers to how when we come into a relationship with God, that God will direct his steadfast love at us, meaning he will always be faithful to the promises he makes. He will always be faithful to us. He will always love us. He will never cast us aside again. It's God's enduring, steadfast, faithful love. Even if we're experiencing circumstances in this life that cause us to suffer, 
It doesn't mean that God has stopped loving us. It means somehow that that suffering is a part of his steadfast love because he's always faithful to us. So that's what this word means. And we said, okay, Ruth's faithfulness to God is motivated by her belief that God is always faithful to her. She trusted in God's faithfulness. But Naomi displays bitterness because she has begun to believe that God actually opposes her. That there was a point where she was within God's love and then something happened. Either she did something wrong or God just changed his mind, I guess, and decided to remove his love from her. God has stopped being faithful to her, she thinks. And this is why she's experiencing all this tragedy. That's what she supposes. This is why I have all this calamity coming upon me. This is what she says. The, the Almighty has brought all this calamity on me. These circumstances that are out of her control. And so she is bitter now because God has done these things to her. And there's nothing she can do about it. And she's angry now and she's cynical because she's not in control. But can anyone really blame Naomi? I mean, she's, she lost a husband and two children. I know there are people in here who've lost a spouse. I know there are people in this room who've lost children. I, I couldn't even imagine what I would feel if I had lost my wife and two children. Bitterness wouldn't go far enough for me. And on top of that, she's facing poverty and most likely threats of being assaulted or raped in this culture that she's in. She was a widow with no son in a man's world. And maybe one could say that it was sinful of Naomi and Elimelech back when they were in Bethlehem to leave Israel and go to Moab, escaping the famine that they didn't trust in God. But that probably just fuels Naomi's belief that there was a point she walked away from God and so God walked away from her. That he has withdrawn a steadfast love from her, that he's punishing her. I mean, have you ever been bitter at God before or questioned God? Have you ever yelled at God before? Like, God, why don't you heal my body? I, I believe you can. I faithfully believe, I read this and I, I read of people being healed. God, why don't you heal my body? I'm praying for it. Or, or why don't you help me get the job I need? Or God, I'm drowning in debt, help me get the money I need. Or God, would you just help these circumstances to work out? I believe you can do it. I read of you doing that for people. Why can't you do it for me? God, why did you let that happen to my family? I've been bitter at God. I've wondered, was God opposed to me? I've yelled at God, challenging him, that if he was really in control, then things should have gone differently. Maybe you're in that place right now. You have bitterness in your heart towards God, or bitterness towards other people, or towards a circumstance that you're walking through because you think things ought to be 
different. Last week, we saw that Ruth and Naomi have polar opposite views of God in Ruth chapter 1. One led to faithfulness, and the other led to bitterness. But let's not scoff at Naomi, because we've all been there, and we all probably will be back there at some point in our journey. But as we look at Ruth 2 together this morning, here's what we're going to see. When we look at Ruth 2, we're going to see something happen to Naomi that melts away her bitterness. And that's why I want to study it together, is that as we look at Ruth 2 together this morning, is that we'll learn what really is the true cure to bitterness in our lives. What really is the the true cure to this feeling that we get when we're walking through circumstances and we have no idea how to even view God as as we're walking through it. So let's look at Ruth 2 together. Uh, Justin read the chapter for us earlier in our service. Uh, So let me just paraphrase a bit the the story so we understand everything that's going on here. When Ruth and Naomi are back in Bethlehem, they've traveled back now, uh, Ruth asks Naomi if she can go and and glean in someone's field. Uh, Now let me explain this a bit. Uh, In the Old Testament, God had laws about how you were to harvest your fields. And his laws were put in place so that there would be aid to the poor. So that the poor would have some way of gathering food from themselves. So those who owned fields had to harvest their fields in a particular way so the poor could go get food. And let me read that to you. That's Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. This is what it says. God Giving the law, he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord, your God. That last part is don't argue with me. So if you owned a field, when it was time to harvest your crop, you were not allowed to go harvest it straight to the edge. So you left a little perimeter. And you weren't allowed to pick up your gleanings. So gleanings were, okay, you're going through, you're harvesting your crop, you're picking your crops, you're you're putting it in a stack. Naturally, you're going to leave some behind. Some are going to fall off your stack. And so what God is saying is after you harvest your field, don't go back through and pick up everything that you left behind. Leave it. Because that was for the poor. The edges and the gleanings were for the poor to come and gather so they could have some food. So Ruth is asking Naomi if she can go provide for them by gleaning in a field. So this is what someone who was poor would do to get their food. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 3 tells us that she just so happened to come to a field owned by Boaz. The Hebrew here is written in a way where it's wanting the reader to understand that this was not planned. It was not planned by Ruth and Naomi that Ruth would go glean at Boaz's field. It's just she so happened to go to Boaz's field. And Boaz was related to Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. And so Boaz comes to the field as Ruth is gleaning and immediately asks his servants, who's this young woman here gleaning in 
the field. Now, now understand, this is a dangerous situation for Ruth. She's a young, foreign, single woman gleaning by herself, and we get multiple indications in this chapter, verse 9 and verse 22, that a woman in this situation would probably have been assaulted or raped by other men. But when Boaz arrives, we see that he greets his servants who are harvesting the field. And one of the things he says in verse four is, the Lord be with you. So this is the author of Ruth telling us the readers that, that Boaz is a man of God and he's to be trusted in the story. So he's a, he's a man of God. He, he greets his servants. And we see then Boaz begin to treat Ruth with the utmost respect and care. I mean, not only does he continue to allow Ruth to glean in the fields, he, he ensures she is protected from, from anyone that would harm or abuse her. He protects her. Uh, he ensures that all of his servants treat her as an equal, not an inferior. She drinks from the same water. She gets the same food as they do. He instructs his servants, put extra crop on the ground, right? Be a little extra sloppy as you harvest your grain so there's more for her to glean. And he also invites her into his home and feeds her a full meal. I mean, when's the last time Ruth had a full meal? Who knows? And so Ruth gleans all day till evening. She then beats out the grain, all right? So she, she takes all of the stuff that she's gleaning, she beats it out, all that chaff and husk goes away. So she just has like the edible grain on the ground. So she gets all that up, she puts it in a bag, and she heads home to Naomi, and when Ruth arrives home to Naomi, something happens that begins that process of melting away all of that bitterness in Naomi's heart. Naomi is stopped in her tracks by the weight of God's grace on her and Ruth. Because right here in verse 17, it says that Ruth brought home an ephah of barley. Now, ephah sounds like one of those Bible words, you know, you can't really relate to. So you just kind of assume, like, okay, I'm sure that's just a normal amount of grain that one would glean if they went out and gleaned for a day. But can I, let me show you what Ruth brought home, okay? It's the first time in my life I've used a sermon prop. <laughs> This is about as close as a visual that I could get of an ephah of barley. This is a 50-pound bag of rice from Costco. $17.99. This is 126 cups of rice. How long would 126 cups of rice last in your house? This is a five to six-week supply of food for Ruth and Naomi. I mean, this is not a normal amount of food for one day of gleaning. This is insane. It, it is. I mean, think, if you earned enough money in one day to provide for your family for five to six weeks, that's a good day's work. That's an insane day's work. So when, when Naomi sees this, this is overwhelming. Maybe this bag right here doesn't seem overwhelming to us. We're well-fed people. But this 
is overwhelming. They're taken care of for a long time, and that's just a day. I mean, later in the chapter, Naomi's like, yep, keep going back there. Keep gleaning. Naomi did not see that coming. She didn't see it coming. It's a sign from God that he has not forgotten her. He has not left her, and he is certainly not opposed to her. And when the weight of God's grace comes to bear on Naomi's life, the bitterness begins to dissipate. I mean, look at what Naomi says in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. It says, And her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to Ruth, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord. Look at this, whose kindness, his hesed, his steadfast love, his faithful love has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi just said, blessed be God, because he's actually not opposed to me. He is faithful. He never did leave us. I thought he did, but I'm, I'm reminded today he never, he never left us. The weight of God's grace reminds her that even though she has been walking through a very hard season in life, God has not left her. God will never leave her. Even though she has struggled with being faithful like Ruth has been so faithful, God has never stopped being faithful to Naomi. Just because she was bitter didn't mean God left her. And in this moment, Naomi is reminded that the steadfast love of God does endure forever. And so let's just stop here for a second. Stop talking about Ruth and Naomi just for a minute and talk about us. Because we've all been bitter before. Maybe some of us are stuck in bitterness today. And what melts away bitterness is when the weight of God's grace does something in our hearts to reorient the way that we see God and the way that we see our lives. Let me tell you about the weight of God's grace in your life. God is a God of justice. And it is true that because of our sin against God, he justly opposes us. We love ourselves more than God and other people. We care more about our own well-being at the end of the day than the glory of God and the well-being of others. We, by nature, rebel against God's two greatest commands, to, to love God and to love our neighbor. We get bitter when we don't get our way. And we think God ought to submit his resignation of being almighty God and we should get promoted to that spot because if I were in charge, if I were in control, then things would be way better for me. And so God opposes us. He pronounces judgment 
upon us. And that judgment is death. That judgment is living in a broken world where we suffer. The judgment is hell. But God is also merciful, gracious, and kind. And God is not gracious just by looking past our sin and saying, ah, it doesn't matter. You have had a hard lot in life. It doesn't matter. He doesn't do that. He's not gracious because he sets up a religious system where, you know, we find the right prayers and the right things to say and amount of money to give and things like that. And as long as we get the pattern right, then we somehow unlock his grace on us. No. He's not gracious because he allows excuses for our sin or bitterness. He doesn't allow excuses for our sin or bitterness. No, the, the weight of God's grace is that God says to us, I'm not, I'm not just going to look past your sin. What I'm going to do is pay the just penalty for your sin at the expense of my son Jesus. I'm going to credit you the righteous life that my son Jesus lived. I'm gonna raise you up out of the grave like my son Jesus got raised up right out of the grave. I'm gonna make you one of my children just like Jesus is one of my children. I'm gonna declare over you my faithful, steadfast love, which means I'm gonna make a covenant with you. I'm gonna make a promise to you that I will never leave you. A promise that says you will never be opposed by me ever again. A promise that says you will live with me for eternity in my kingdom. A promise that says I am going to transform your life. I'm gonna give you a new heart. A heart that will love me, a heart that will love your neighbor. A promise that says even though you will suffer in this broken world, it will not be in vain because I have a plan for your life. It's a promise that radically reorients every single situation that you will face, good or bad, for the rest of your life, right? This is the grace of God. Do we deserve it? No, we deserve hell, but that's the weight of God's grace. This is why Paul says in the beginning of Ephesians, chapter one, verse three, he says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. God has not withheld one blessing from any of his children. If you are a follower of Christ, if you're a child of God this morning, he has not withheld one blessing from you. He has more than provided for our needs. I mean, his love is faithful, steadfast, unbreakable. It doesn't end. And so has, has the weight of God's grace come to bear on your life? Have you fallen on your knees before God, convicted of your sin, repenting of your sin, begging God for this grace that only comes through Jesus? Because if you haven't, why? Like, what is stopping you? What is stopping you from going all in, begging God for his grace, and living your life under his love? What? Why wouldn't you? Because this is what melts away bitterness, frustration, brokenness in our lives. God's love for us, the weight of his grace in our life. I wanna show you how. 
going back to Ruth. Because when the weight of that bag of barley thumped the ground in front of Naomi, a bunch of things started to click in her head and in her heart. You know, one of the first things that clicked in Naomi's head and heart at that time was, God, he, he really is good. God is, really is good. I mean, look how God never removed his love from her, but he was always faithful to her. I mean, look how good that he's been to Naomi and Ruth by providing for every bit of their needs, even in the midst of tragedy. Look at how God led Ruth to Boaz's field. I mean, later in Ruth, we're gonna learn in chapters three and four why that was significant. That was life-altering that Ruth ended up at Boaz's field that day. And look at the kindness of Boaz. I mean, this is an illustration of the kindness of our, our Father in heaven, right? If you wanna understand how God regards you, his attitude towards you, look at Boaz's attitude towards Ruth how he cherishes Ruth. How he gives her more than she could ever ask or expect. How he protects her. This is, this is how God regards us. I mean, God would have every right to kick us out of his presence. Just like Boaz had every right to kick Ruth right out of his field if he wanted to. But when we come to God humbly because we know we need him, we find a savior that says, this is Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Naomi, she just, God really is good. I questioned it, but he really is. And then Naomi, this clicked in her heart, God really is in control. He really is good, and he really is in control, isn't he? Everything that happened that day, that, that was a God thing. God brought that together. This doesn't mean that Naomi all of a sudden understands of everything she's had to walk through, the loss of her husband, the loss of her sons. It haunts us sometimes of a God who's in control of all things because that means that God has allowed some really hard things in our lives, in other people's lives. But when we trust God, that when we trust that God is good in his control, then we don't need to understand. Because if God really is good, and if he's really in control, listen, that means that wherever we are at this very moment, whatever circumstance you are in, whatever you are going through right now, that means that that's exactly where God wants you. If he is good, if he is in control, then where you are right now is exactly where he wants you. And this is what Naomi realized. This is what began to melt away her bitterness that where she was was not a result of punishment. It wasn't a result of a misunderstanding. It, it's not a result of carelessness. But God is up to something. 
And our job isn't to evaluate his performance or question his goodness or demand that he give us in control. Our, our job is to live under the security of his, of his faithfulness. To cry out to him in pain, cry out to him and ask why, like any child would ask their parents. But to live faithfully in the moment, knowing that, that God is perfectly faithful to us. If God is good and God is in control, then there is nowhere else you want to be than where you are right now, even in the hurt or pain. Ruth and Naomi have no idea what's coming in chapters three and four. They don't know, but they don't want to miss it. So where are you? Are you struggling with bitterness today? Because let me first encourage you, just like Naomi, your bitterness has not caused God to be annoyed at you or to remove his love from you. It's not like God is looking down at Ruth and being like, man, look at Ruth, this girl's faithful. She gets all the blessings. Man, look at Naomi, she's so ungrateful. Let's just let her suffer until she learns her lesson. God doesn't treat his children that way. God's grace is still upon you in your bitterness. But if your bitterness, your bitterness might cause you to ignore or be blind to the weight of God's grace in your life. That where you are right now is exactly where he wants you. That his faithful love is upon you even when we don't understand and you have no idea where you're going. This is where we need to learn from Ruth again. Because Ruth lived faithfully in the present, exactly where God had her, because she was transformed by the weight of God's grace in her life. I mean, look how Ruth is praised in chapter two. She's commended for her work ethic. She's commended for her faithfulness to Naomi. She's commended for her kindness and her humility. I mean, gleaning in the field all day is, is hard work. It was not glorious work. It was humiliating, but she was faithful. And she wasn't using it as this like bargaining chip to God, right? Like, okay, I'm gonna go be humble and glean in the field. I don't wanna do it, but I'm gonna do it all day. But God, I do that, and therefore you're going to you know, return with, with blessing to me or you're gonna provide for us. It wasn't her, it was just faithfulness in the moment. It's where God has me, faithfulness. Uh, many times our bitterness can cause us to ignore the weight of God's grace and the blessings that we do have in Christ and then begin, begin to use our faithfulness as leverage with God, like bargaining chips, right? Or we tell God, I, I love my spouse and I'm gonna do the hard work, I'm gonna swallow a bunch of stuff and I'm just going to, you know, I'm gonna take it on the chin and it's gonna be hard, but God, you change their heart too. That's the deal, or I'll keep going to work, I'll have a better attitude, I'll try to reach out to my boss, I'll do that, but God, you make it easier for me in the workplace. I'll stop being bitter, but God, you make my situation easier. You know, I'll get up and pray and read my Bible, I'll do the faithful thing, but God, then you kind of come around and solve the issue before me. And when we do that, all we've done is turn faithfulness as a way to exercise our bitterness. 
See, there's a, there's a difference between, I want you guys to get this. There's a difference between living, living faithfully so God will change things in our lives and give us joy and living faithfully because we believe there's joy in the faithfulness. You hear the difference? There's a difference between living faithfully so God will give us joy and living faithfully because we believe there's joy in living faithfully. The weight of God's grace shows us there is joy in the present, in the right now, because we have been given every blessing that God has us where he wants us. You know, there is joy in your work right now if you'll trust God's faithfulness to you. It doesn't mean it's not hard, But there is joy in your work right now. You don't know what's coming next. You don't know how God will use your quiet faithfulness. You have no idea how God might impact other people around you. It's not up to us to figure out God's plans. There's joy in your marriage right now, if you'll trust God. It can be hard. It might be inconvenient. But you have no idea what God can do when one person in a marriage decides to allow the grace of God to melt away their bitterness and live faithfully in that marriage, in the present, in the now. There's joy in your singleness right now. It might be lonely, but you have no idea what God has in store for you. There is more joy in being faithfully single than bitter. And so so Grace Hill Look at the weight of God's grace in your life. How he has provided every blessing to you. God is good. God is in control. God's love never fails. He has you right where he wants you. Trust him for today, Sunday, February 3rd. Trust him for today. Be faithful in the present today. And then tomorrow, when you wake up, walk past your phone, grab your Bible, and remember the weight of God's grace in your life. That God is good, that God is in control, that his love will never be taken away from you, that he has you right where he wants you for tomorrow. That's Monday, February 4th, I think, right? Trust him for tomorrow. Be faithful tomorrow. Rinse and repeat. This is God's faithfulness to us. This is the weight of God's grace to us. And that's what melts away our bitterness. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning, I just want to praise you and I want to thank you for your faithfulness to Naomi. Your love for Naomi. That you never walked away from Naomi, you never broke your promises to her, even when she was mad and angry. And asking why, even though she thought that you had walked away from her, you, you never did. 
and you provided for her and you cared for her and you reminded all of us here today that your love for us is not dependent on our faithfulness, but your love for us is dependent on your faithfulness. And God, that's good news to us this morning. It's good news, Lord, because if if your love for us was dependent on our faithfulness, God, we'd be sunk. So Lord, I pray for anyone in this room right now who is just feeling that weight of, of bitterness or feeling that burden on their shoulders of guilt or shame or, or whatever it is. They're in that place that Naomi is in, questioning if you really love them. And Lord, you would just do something in their hearts right now. That'd be like the, the weight of your grace coming in and displacing any other thought any other feelings of guilt or or shame or bitterness. That, Lord, we would see the cross for how big and how weighty it really is. It is a big deal. Your promise to us is never fading. And so, God, may that just bring freedom to people in this church to live their lives faithfully to you each day in the present trusting that they are exactly where you want them to be, trusting you for the future, knowing that you provide, you have provided, and you will provide. Lord, may the weight of your grace change the way that we live and bring us joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.